Welcome to the Attractions Group Podcast. We're at episode 32, and this one is a very special one because we are turning the mic over this time to you, the listeners, because we asked for your Twitter questions, and we're going to have a listener special today, and we're going to answer your deepest, darkest questions. I'm Ryan Sir. Along with me always is my co-host, Don Helbig. Don, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, Ryan, I'm really excited about this episode because without our listeners, we're nothing. So it's uh, great to to have them asking us questions. Uh, you know, we'd like to see a lot more um, interaction with our listeners. So, you know, if they're following us on uh, our different social channels, you know, there's a way to, to, you know, stay in regular contact with us when we're not doing the podcast, but we want to, you know, reciprocate that and have it go both ways. And tonight's the start of all. Yeah, that. absolutely. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, we were tweeting out asking for questions from our Twitter handle attractions underscore GRP. And since I'm doing the patting on the back plug, follow us on YouTube uh, for the video version. I'm getting to be a better editor and I make motion graphics now and I don't want them to go to waste. So watch the video version. But if you'd rather listen while you're driving or whatever, which I admit I do sometimes, uh, follow us on your favorite uh, podcast apps to search for the Attractions Group Podcast. All right. So what we did uh, a few days ago is put out a tweet saying that you've got questions, we've got answers. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of fantastic guests on the podcast uh, the past couple of weeks. We had Elizabeth Ringus, the president of ACE, Chris Roberry from the National Roller Coaster Museum, all sorts of just fantastic people. You know, not to play anybody down, but all of them were, were fantastic. We've had some great episodes, but we wanted to take this one back a little bit, um, you know, take it easy and just kind of spend some time with you guys. Um, before we get started, though, Don, how was your week? It was Super Bowl week. It was Super Bowl week. Uh, I thought it was a fantastic Super Bowl. You know, one of the best ones that I've seen. I know there's a lot of complaining about the referees and all that kind of stuff. That had nothing to do with the outcome of the game. You know, the Eagles had a 10-point lead at halftime. Uh, you got to be able to hold that. Uh, but, you know, Kansas City, you know, made more plays. They made the plays when it mattered. And, um, you know, so it didn't come down to that final field goal. And uh, I just thought of, you know, all the Super Bowls that, that, that I've been watching, and that dates back to – 1972 uh, when the Miami Dolphins had their perfect season. So um, I, I rank it up there as one of the two or three best Super Bowls that I've seen. Um, you? So I did not watch the Super Bowl. I did catch the end, um, but I realized that uh, I had a, a, an activity to go to that night. It was scheduled before we realized it was Super Bowl Sunday. My, my girlfriend took me out uh, as a late birthday gift. And uh, when we realized this during the Bengals-Kansas City game, uh, I instantly became a Kansas City fan because no matter what, I could not miss this. So if the Bengals had gone to the Super Bowl, I would have not been able to watch. So uh, selfishly, I'm a little glad they didn't go uh, because I, I I would have watched it very intently, of course, but it didn't kill me not to watch it. Um, I did catch the last couple plays, um, you know, with that field goal at the end and stuff. And it obviously it's a very exciting game. Um, wasn't really in a position to check my phone or anything to really check the score, but uh, did periodically and it seemed like it was always tied. <laughs> so, uh, so that's pretty exciting, yeah. but I know that uh super bowl Sunday is kind of like uh, five different birthdays and three Christmases wrapped up for you. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Did you just it watch is. it at home? It is. And you know what? Yeah. I watched it at home. Uh, I like that. Cause I can just focus on the game. You know, I've, we've had super bowl parties and that, um, but I like it with not a lot of distractions so I can really focus on the game. And, and uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, though, I mean, 
what an incredible talent. And whether you like the Chiefs, you don't like the Chiefs, you have to appreciate greatness when you see it. And that's what you're seeing with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, what he's done in his first, you know, the last five years, you know, uh, either making the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl, they've won two. Uh, you know, just respect the greatness. You know, I know there was a lot of years where people uh, weren't fans of Tom Brady, you know, and, uh, you know, you have to just appreciate, uh, you know, what you're watching. And, you know, as a Bengal fan, he's obviously, you know, an opponent and someone you have to get past. But, uh, you know, I, I just appreciate the opportunity to watch a guy with that skill level play. Yep. Yep. I, uh, I, I couldn't uh, agree more. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, and, and you and I, I don't remember if we discussed this on the show or off the show or off camera, but the thing about Patrick Mahomes from, you know, I know football. I'm very familiar with it. I don't know it to the level you are. So I'm on the high end of a casual, you know, so like I, 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 I understand what's going on. I'm not a Monday morning quarterback, but, but from that standpoint, you know, just from an amateur standpoint, the thing that I noticed is that on, on third down, Patrick Mahomes is able to, you know, under pressure, throw for 10 or 15 yards to get a first down. He's able to convert on third very easily. And that was the game changer against the Bengals. I didn't watch the Super Bowl, like I said. I didn't watch a replay, but I imagine there was a situation like that. Was was he able to convert on third? Well, you know, yeah, a lot of those guys that uh, get open for Kansas City, that all goes back to the head coach, Andy Reid. You know, he best play designer, uh, play caller that I've I've uh, seen in the NFL in all my years watching uh, you know, he just draws up plays that get guys open. And he had two plays when you're in tight, uh, almost goal line situation. It's a crowded area. Um, just two brilliant calls down there that led to touchdowns. So, uh, you know, you just have to look at it and, and just, you know, respect what those guys have done there in Kansas City. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes getting those guys open, you know, it all starts with the play caller, yeah, Andy. Yeah, Reed. absolutely. Uh, formidable opponents. We'll be seeing them again. I got a feeling that it's going to be Joe Burrow. Uh, versus Patrick Mahomes uh, in many playoff situations moving forward over the next 10 years or so. Uh, let's let's oh, just absolutely. hope that both of them stay healthy and they stay with their teams. It seems like they will. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. Okay, well, uh, enough banter. Let's get to the first tweet. So, uh, by the way, thanks in advance to everybody that tweeted at us. We picked uh, some of our favorites to answer. So the first one goes to long supporter of the show, FYE Coasters. Uh, he also has a YouTube channel, so look him up. Uh, how far in advance does the preparation for a new area or addition for a park start? Like, as far as planning for it. Uh, FYE Coasters is at FYE Coasters on Twitter. So, Don, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I think you need at least a minimum of, of two years to plan, um, you know, for, for a new addition anywhere, pretty much in a park. But if it's going to be a major ride like a roller coaster, that can be five years of planning when you're looking at uh, an area where you're going to put it. Um, you know, just there's a lot of things involved with it. You know, your your different uh, budgets and things you're working with every year, you know, but most parks are going to operate with a with about a five-year plan. Now, they'll switch that around a little bit sometimes, uh, but you always know, you know, kind of what you need, how to cater to your audience, and every park's different there too. Some parks are more thrill-seekers. Some are more family, so you're looking at all those kind of things. But, uh, you know, things go on the board. You know, the minimum you can probably get by with, and I'm talking small, small parks, is going to be two years. And the bigger the park, the more time you're going to need. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that from experience just with IAPA, it seems like, you know, if you're dealing with your big hitters, your B&Ms and stuff, um, 
you you need a lead time. Uh, famously, and this is yeah. not an industry secret. This is bit this is very public. Um, Rip Ride Rocket at Universal, they had approached B and M about that because uh, they had a vision for a ride. Because B and M had a similar technology, uh, Singapore somewhere in in Asia, where it had onboard audio. Uh, and B and M said, "Okay, we can start in four years or something like that," and that's how they ended up with. Uh, I want to say Mauer made it. Um, so yeah, it shows that lead time is is incredibly important with this stuff. Yeah. yeah now you might not uh, know exactly what manufacturer you're going to work with or what exact ride is going to be there uh, at that point, but in terms of where something would go based on that year, you pretty much have that kind of mapped out that that's kind of where the next new thing might go for that. Yeah. Year. So the way that I always envisioned it, cause this work, this is how it works at, you know, other entertainment areas and stuff like that is, um, you know, it's very cyclical as far as small budget, medium budget and so on. But you know, 2027 or whatever, that's a big budget year. So often coaster, you know, in this industry, but, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, talk, but but you know the yeah you know the capital idea though oftentimes before you know the area you know where really? it's going to go so sometimes that comes down to maybe like two years out or something like that or you know um, eighteen months out where you kind of okay this is where it's going to go but you have your plan this is what we're going to do in you know twenty twenty three twenty twenty four twenty twenty five twenty twenty six twenty twenty seven so you kind of have that mapped out you know kind of the target of what you're looking for at that time. You might not make the purchase yet, you know, have that ride identified yet, have that spot identified yet, but you start talking about it five years out. That's really interesting. Um, you know, five years is obviously the cycle that uh, most people have assumed. Um, I imagine, okay, let, let me, let me phrase this as a question for you. Um, so 2023 right now is at this recording, 2028 is penciled in. Um, how much do plans change within the five years? Like, is it... I mean, oh, they do. They do. They do change. Yeah. I mean, it, it might be, um, you know, maybe you didn't have uh, a couple of good years or something and you have you can't spend what you were thinking of at that time. So you have to kind of pivot and do something else. Um, sometimes you had a better, you know, couple of years and now you have more to do some. So, I mean, it really it varies, you know, uh, on what you're doing. And, and every park's, you know, going to be different because uh, you have the size of a park. Some are, you know, the chains you know, a Six Flags, a Cedar Fair, a Disney Universal, and others are more independently owned, you know, family owned, those kind of things. And, uh, you know, so at all, nobody is working from the exact same playbook. Let's put oh, it yeah, that way. As is true with all businesses. Um, so let, let me ask you this. So kind of a variation of that. Uh, it seems like uh, this is this is absolutely industry wide, not unique to any park, but it seems like very recently with the advent of like, uh, you know, all season meal plans and things of that sort, that the demand for food has gotten higher. So, you know, they, they build a new area, they build a new ride, they even build a new flat ride. And Oh, by the way, here's a nice themed restaurant with it. Is our additions like that always baked into the cake or do they like, we really need an extra hundred thousand to build a restaurant. Like, does that happen? <laughs> it's a little, uh, you're definitely working with a shorter window when it comes to restaurants and that, but uh, you know, it's the culinary experience, um, you know, ha has dramatically improved at parks across the country. You know, it's becoming more a part of the, the plan, the vision. Uh, so you're going to see, I think, more longer term planning uh, for some of those. Yeah. And I imagine that the scale of the project has uh, a lot more bearing on uh, on the time frame. Like I imagine 
uh, let's say Fest House at Bush Gardens, uh, either Bush Gardens probably had at least a three year run in because that was more than a million dollars at the time it was built. While, uh, you know, Jimmy's Chicken Shack or whatever, probably they could probably swing that in off season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If it's a small type of thing, you know, uh, kind of a, like a smaller kiosk kind of, I mean, you know, or just like a walk up one window and, you know, order your, your, whatever hot dog and fry, whatever it might be, you know, they're the smaller things, you know, you can do those pretty quick. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you just budget for those, you know, maybe a year in advance, two years, but, um, but when it comes to like a major ride, you kind of know when you're going to do it. You might not know where it's going to go. And sometimes opportunity comes about and a place becomes available that you weren't expecting because uh, a ride has you know been retired and you thought maybe that ride was going to last two or three years longer and it didn't. So sometimes that creates an opportunity where like, oh, yeah, well, instead of putting it here, we're going to put it there. You know, so some things will move to as well. Yeah. Uh, is there a fair amount of flexibility in in terms of uh, where you can put stuff? I, I know that that's more of an engineering question than like a marketing question, but I've always been curious if, you know, you know, we're going to put this on the West side of the park, let's say a, a mock spinning coaster. Oh, wait, no, it would work better on the right side of the park. Like it, to your knowledge, is that like a huge deal? There's always those. Yeah. There's those kind of, yeah, it is a huge deal where you place it. Um, but those kind of discussions, you know, they're typically, you know, collaborative with a lot of different uh, uh, people involved in that. It's not one person picking that kind of a thing. Normally, everybody comes to a consensus where's the best place mm -hmm. to put it. Um, but you're also dealing with other things on where to put things because, you know, what about all the electrical and the power sources and all those kind of things? And, you know, is that available right in that area where you're thinking? Is it better to put it over here because it's closer? I mean, so all those kind of things going at people that uh, much smarter than you and I are, Ryan, uh, you know, make those kind of calls, you know, so. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of planning is involved. It's not something that you just kind of wing it next year. We're doing this and you do it. You can't, you need more time. Well, speak than that. for yourself. I'm very, very smart. According to my mother. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. And you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with like infrastructure too. Cause one of the things that really struck me, um, is there's two different places that there's three different places where I saw this happening. Um, you know, obviously my home parks, Kings Island, they, when they put in Winterfest for two years, they did infrastructure you know, electric, electric stuff all, the whole time. And you wouldn't think about that. You plug in the Christmas lights, big deal. Uh, then when they added the night of lights drive through at Coney Island, uh, also near Cincinnati, lots of infrastructure went in for that huge power requirements just for Christmas lights, but there are millions of them. Uh, and then, uh, I did some, uh, I did shot some fireworks at King's Dominion a couple years ago and they were preparing for Winterfest there after it had opened at King's Island, and they were in the same process. They're digging up everything, putting down root lines, just so much stuff. So I can only fathom, you know, water, mm -hmm. power, you know, gas, I what, whatever it takes. The infrastructure's got to be astounding for a large-scale ride, or more so a restaurant, you know? Oh, uh, man. Yeah, now let's qualify that tweet as well by saying that, uh, you know, if this question was asked to 10 different people, you know, you might get, you know, five or six are going to say it a different way or something. So like I said, no parks are the same, you know, um, on, on how they're going to go about, you know, a lot of these things, everybody's got a different size, a different budget, uh, you know, that type of thing and, and different areas you can put things. And sometimes you have to remove something to add something because you're landlocked. So all those different things go, go into this, uh, decision. Right. And, and some of it, uh, some of it's long. I mean, a perfect example is like when Disney has D23, they announce stuff that they forget about later that just don't happen. That's how far out they kind of plan. 
Um, and, and mm-hmm. on the flip side, uh, let's use a personal experience for us because, uh, you know, Skyline Attractions, Jeff Pike, friend of the show. Hi, Jeff. Um, they debuted their spaghetti bowl coaster. And then Six Flags announced a couple months later that they were adding two of them. So that tells me, I don't necessarily know for sure. I do not have any insight from either company, but that tells me that Six Flags probably bid on it, you know, six months before it's going to open. So for a project like that, that's probably viable. Yeah, but that would have been something they knew they were getting something. They just didn't know what yet. They knew where something would go. They just didn't know exactly what what that capital yeah, was. Maybe be. that's right. Um, Six Flags they're they're in a weird situation where uh their ceo was saying like he didn't want to do capital expenditures and stuff then he walked it back so that's what leads me to believe that maybe they made that decision later um but it's still interesting you know because that's something it's it's a coaster yeah. you know and it's two coasters really for both parks um but they were able to be like oh by the way we're adding this so uh, that's cool that's cool that they're able to do that and yeah but you're always flexible you know you're always uh you know uh, flexible on being able to pivot and come up with something different and um, you know maybe something is created that you weren't expecting in terms of an area because a ride mm-hmm. gets retired you know that you weren't expecting so uh, a lot of things get involved but typically typically you want to have that uh, you know minimum two years to five years out that you're looking at and with the ideas in your head and where those awesome. things might cool. go all right let's get on to the next tweet all right this is from jim flugel jim uh, how responsive should a park be when dealing with social media questions, i.e. weather conditions and rides closed or any viral content that someone may post and how to deal with backlash, i.e. Uh, catching fighting going on? I remember for a couple of years, I was at every park uh, or bad associate involvement. So basically what he's asking is uh, people start tweeting at the park saying, hey, why is this ride closed? And or the second part of his question is, uh, this employee was rude and I'm tweeting at the park about it, or these two people were fighting. I caught it on video. Um, this is, this is a PR question, not necessarily a social media question, but fortunately you're also qualified for that. Uh, what are your thoughts on it, Don? You need to be responsive, uh, but every situation is going to be a little bit different. You know, if a ride is down, um, you know, if it's only going to be for like one day, you don't want to really, you know, there's no real reason to put that out there on, on social media because the way the algorithm and things works, if you post that on a Friday that a ride is down, somebody might not see that in their feed till Sunday morning. And then they think, oh, they don't really read the date that you did it, you know, posted it. So they're thinking that rides down that day when they were going to go. So you want to be a little careful about that. If it's going to be a long-term closure, you know, four to five days, a couple of weeks, a month, yeah, you want to let everybody know, uh, you, not only on, on social media, but you want to also put it on your website. So, uh, you know, you're transparent about what rides aren't going to be be open. But short term, you know, you, you don't have to, um, you know, put that out there. You don't have to respond if somebody, you know, it's 10.05 in the morning and I'm here and this ride's not open. You know, why not? You know, you know, by the time you would tweet that, the, the ride's open. So, uh, but I do believe you want to be... Um, you know, you, you do want to make sure that uh, you are responding as, you know, when when you need to, uh, when it comes to some of those other situations, you know, uh, typically there is a statement, uh, you know, that would be prepared, you know, in case you get media inquiries or whatever, and that same statement would be used to update on, on social media. Uh, but uh, yeah, you want to be as transparent as possible. You want to communicate as much as possible, uh, but there's limitations to, to, you know, when you want to do that because, 
the way the algorithm and things work, it might not um, might not appear when you want it to be. It's not going to be as timely as you think it is. It's like instantaneous. Twitter's pretty good. Facebook, you know, with the way the algorithm is, uh, not unless something's going to be long term. Yeah, um, I actually remember uh, one of the parks I follow. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, put on Facebook that uh, hey, due to inclement weather, we're closing at eight. And then uh, I remember seeing that and being like, oh, bummer, whatever happens. And then like three days later, I saw it again. And I was like, my God, they're closing again. And it was the same post. It just showed it to me twice. So if I wasn't diligent, I would think that they were closing at eight. Right, right. So yeah, you only really do that when when you absolutely have to. Um, the best way, you know, one of the best ways to communicate now is through a mobile oh, yeah. app. You know, because you're able to uh, hit your your pass holders. You're able to hit the the ticket buyers. You're able to hit people that are in the park if something needs to be updated. And that's a much more, you know, cleaner, efficient way to, to communicate. Uh, it's more timely. And it's not something that, like you said, two or three days later, you're seeing, you know, that that mobile message. If you want to see my rant about how parks are underutilizing mobile apps, see episode two. <laughs> yeah, lots of potential with the mobile app. I'm really excited about the future of the mobile app. Um, I- yeah, but the other thing with social media, it's a cauldron of negativity. Really? I hadn't noticed. So you, you can't overreact to, to some of the things, you know, and try to respond to every little thing. And what you also find is a lot of times the people that are going on rants and things, uh, they just chime in and they're not they haven't even been at the park, you know, so you have to just kind of take everything, you know, what it is. And based on the situation, you know, some are going to require it. Yes. Right off the bat. And other times it's, you know, you just have to, you know, let it go. And the next day is a new day. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I I'm completely in agreement with that. Um, so the thing that I've noticed, uh, poking around on social media and as I've gotten older, I've started to separate myself from social media. And, uh, I want to take this moment to thank whatever God there is that I wasn't, I didn't go to high school in a day and age of Facebook. Cause that would be terrible. Um, but there are people that stir the pot worse on social media. There's always the dramatic people in groups. Uh, I don't know if they're the same people, but there's always people that are causing trouble on social media and Hey, six flags, Darian late close early. Cause there's a monsoon. What a ripoff. All those people showed up and uh, come on, you know, there's, there's always those people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I, I completely agree. I think that there are instances where things need to be addressed because if you don't, uh, address things that are serious concerns, then it makes you look not a non-diligent. And yeah, exactly, exactly uh, with that. But you know, the bigger thing too out there is the, the consistency of the response. So, um, what's being you know delivered to the news media has to be the same thing that you're delivering on the social channels. Has to be the same thing that's going to be on your website. Uh, so there's no you know differences of of what the story is for everybody to kind of add their own you know twist to it or take it a different direction so as long as uh you know everything is uh consistent across all channels that's also an important thing when you're responding yeah it is Uh, let me ask you this don just kind of piggybacking off the question uh i've been meaning to ask you this for about a year and i just haven't seen you i guess but um so there are some twitter accounts uh professional twitter accounts like wendy's and universal that are kind of famous slash infamous for like rocking the boat and stuff in kind of a play playful way. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> you know, um, it works for them. 
you know, so I, I think it has to be something you have to definitely have um, the buy-in, you know, from top to bottom when you're going to do those kind of things, when you're going to rock the boat. Uh, you just can't, you know, uh, go rogue because if you do that and everybody else wasn't on board with what your approach was going to be, you know, you're not going to be the one making those kind of social right. posts anymore. Uh, someone else is going to be doing that job for, for those brands. So uh, you can have fun with it. I think there's a certain level that uh, you can take it to, but um, you have to be careful because you just can't go rogue and, and just start taking shots and things like that unless you have everyone has your back, you know, to the person that actually pushed. Right. And, and I think that, um, you know, Wendy's always picks on other fast food restaurants uh, and I think they know what they're getting into. Um, they they'll attack people if they say, like, hey, roast me, which I think is relatively safe if you do it right. Um at Universal, I think, or Univers well, Universal Orlando, I don't know if the other ones do it or not, but they probably know the people at the other parks. So, like, you know. Yeah, you know, you, I take theirs as more of a tongue-in-cheek type of thing. We're just having fun. You know, we're competitors here, but we're mm -hmm. having fun. Uh, you know, almost like the Cubs and the White Sox would with each other. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, you know, Yankees-Mets, you know. So, I mean, there's there's that kind of a, a environment with it. Uh, but uh, just, a, you know, just the fire out of left field. I mean, you have to have a plan in place for, for what you're, you're trying to do there, why you're trying to do it. And everybody has to be on board. And, uh, you know, I don't know how you are on your own personal channels, you know, Ryan, uh, you know, for me, I'm very guarded on what I'm going to respond to somebody because that lives right. forever. You know, once you make that response and your mm -hmm. name's attached to it. So you just have to be really careful. And if you're the one that's, uh, you know, um, making the post for a brand, that brand name is on everything you put out there. So you just have to really be careful and just make sure everybody's on the same page with what your, your, your plan is for your, for your social. I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, uh, excellent thought. Awesome. 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 Uh, let's go on to the next tweet. This is tweet number three, and this is from coaster team, coaster team, friend of the channel. Again, uh, what's the incentive to partner with enthusiast clips, like offering slightly discounted tickets or maybe some small events once a year, other than the fact that they're enthusiasts, and often groups are notable. Are there any other reasons? So Don, you know, you've obviously had you know opportunities to partner with several enthusiast groups, uh, including some fan sites that you may do podcasts with the former media director for. Uh, what is what's the incentive to do that? <laughs> you know, I've been on both sides. You know, before I started working in the industry, you know, I was in the different enthusiast groups that would have events at these parks and that, and then being at the park. And, and hosting those kind of an events, you know, I don't like to use the word partnership. I would use the word building relationships, maybe not so much with the club itself, but with individual people. So uh, if you have an event and you have four or 500 people that come to it, a thousand people, whatever, it's an opportunity for uh, people that work at the park uh, to put a face that the guests can recognize. Uh, they can, you know, you can have those conversations with them, find out what they like, what they don't like. Um, after these events, uh, you know, these are some of your most passionate uh, from the different enthusiast groups. I mean, they're the most passionate about the industry, about your park. Uh, you know, you're, you're putting sales reps out on the street after every visit, you know, regardless whether you're coming as part of a, an event or just a, a one day visitor, you know. So, um, you know, there's advantages with that, that, uh, you know, when you, you have these events, it's not mostly locals. They're coming from all over the place, all over the country. So, you know, if you're based in St. Louis, you do an event and somebody came from California. Well, now there's people going back to California talking about what a great time they had at, the, at this park. So it's uh, just expanding your, your uh, reach, your awareness, uh, having more people excited about your product, you know, outside of your, your market. So there's a lot of value 
and, and putting on these kind of an events for the enthusiasts. So what community. about uh, the, the other part of his tweet when he said about like discount tickets and stuff? I know that a lot of parks offer discounts to like ACE members and stuff like that. Uh, what's the thought process besi- behind that besides just creating the relationship? You look at it as a group sale, you know, a group sale when there's a certain number of, of you know, a company wants to bring X number of employees, you know, it's going to be lower than the front gate price. So it's looked at the same way as that, uh, that over the, the course of a season or whatever, if it's a, a discount at the you know front gate or whatever it is, and say you had 600 people, 700 people take advantage of that offer, it's like a group of 700. So you just have to look at it that yeah, way. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, great answer. Great question too. Uh, let's do the next one. Okay, so Rich Linville, uh, you don't know him. He's Scoreboard Rich on Twitter. Uh, Don, you tweet about two things, sports and theme parks. If you could only pick one, which one and why? So let me hedge this. Uh, so Rich, you didn't really clarify. Is it tweeting about these things or you had to give up one of these things? So Don, let's talk about both answers. Um, let's take let's take it give okay. up. Let's just put it that way. We'll, we'll make it simple. I guess the best way to answer that question is uh, when I die and, uh, you know, I'm in my casket, I'm going to be wearing a Bengals shirt, not a not an amusement park shirt. It's going to be a Bengals shirt. So that should tell you what direction I'm leaning there. If I had to give up one, you know, both of them have been, you know, just ingrained in my life. I grew up with both of them. That's pretty much all I know. You know, so there's always that saying that, uh, you know, I don't know uh, much about a lot of things. But if there's two things I know a lot about is the sports and the the amusement industry. So um, it's a tough, tough call. I mean, it's a tough way to, um, you know, have to, if I had to give up one, but it, it I would stick with sports because um, I, I played all those different sports that I, I tweet about, you know, uh, baseball, football, hockey, you notice I don't really tweet too much about uh, like soccer or tennis or any of those kind of things because that wasn't part of my life growing up. Um, but uh, just, you know, a lot of memories with my dad, going to the, the Reds games, and the Bengals games. So a lot of that plays into it as well. So for me, love the amusement industry. But if someone came to me and said, okay, Don, you have to either give up going to parks or you have to give up, you know, the sporting events, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go to the sporting events. That's interesting because I think that um, I'm a different type of fan than you. But I think that uh, sporting events are a lot more fun when your team's a winner. You know, and I think most people think my way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where if I had to give up parks or, you know, I can go to, if I can't go to parks for the next three years, but I can go to all the Bengals games, but they're going to be Super Bowl contenders, like that would be a tough. But if it's like, ask me that in 1995, probably pick the parks, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've worked in both industries too. So, I mean, there, there's that piece of it too. And, um, just being around it on a day-to-day basis, you know, with both. And I look now, I and mean, I worked in professional hockey for 18 years. I left just before social media uh, came about. So I think about it now oftentimes uh, with the things I could have done had we had Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you know, all the different ways I could have told the different stories. You know, it was always a struggle to get, uh, you know, the media to cover uh, teams, you know, but you can do the stories yourself, you know, nowadays with all that. So I look at that and I'm kind of jealous of the people who are doing, you know, media relations and uh, social media for sports teams today, because I didn't have those opportunities. And I, and I, you know, just look at the the Reds, the Bengals, uh, you know, across the NFL, Major League Baseball, hockey. And I look at all the stories 
that can be told by these teams. And, uh, you know, I didn't get an opportunity to, to take advantage of, you know, that. Uh, the, I, I think you make a valid point there, but I would contrast that with the fact that, uh, you got to do it for, a th- just imagine if you left a theme park. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now let's don't get anybody, don't get anything wrong here. I mean, I love what I do. You know, I love the, the being able to tell, uh, the stories, you know, and things that I've been able to do in this industry, um, with that. But, uh, you know, the question was, if I had to pick one or the other, um, you know, just, you know, again, growing up, playing the games, going to the games, uh, you know, reading about it, you know, uh, I think that, uh, is why I would lean that All way. Right. Well, that question went off the rails. Thanks scoreboard rich. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand, but I, I still think that you, uh, came into social media in the theme park industry at the right time. Um, and, I, and I think that the best you, you'd really be missing out because it's one thing to tell the story of a team and its fans. It's another thing to tell the story of a small city that everybody loves and everybody wants to come visit. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said it's 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 not like it's 100 percent one way. To the, I mean, it is a very tough call. It's a great question by scoreboard rich there, um, you know, but both have been such a such a big piece of my life uh, with that. But you know, if I had to go one way or the other, you know, if somebody said this or that, um, you know, it, it's going to be the sports and, um, uh, but, but I do love, you know, the theme park industry and you'd be hard pressed to find, uh, you know, many people that love it more Absolutely. than I do. Okay. Let's go on to the next tweet. What do we have? We've got from flyer Jack, uh, when a plot of land is deemed to be used for future development, do most parks know what they want or are bids put out for idea, uh, different ideas from different companies? Great, great question. Uh, um, so basically, you know, we're just, we're going to develop this area. Is do, does the park kind of determine what's going to go there, or do they look at what people offer and then they get sold on it, or is it do they shop around and get ideas? How, is it a mixture? What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a mixture of all of that. Um, oftentimes, you know, you know what you kind of want to do if you're going to open up a new new area in that. Um, but something can come about that, you know, you didn't know about three years ago. That's, you know, the, the latest, greatest, you know, attraction that's out there. And you want to, you want to add that. Uh, but yeah, you normally, you know, you, you have an idea of what you're going to try to do if you're going to develop a new area in your park and, uh, you know, what could potentially go there and how does it fit, you know, the rest of the park? How does it fit the skyline? How does it fit, you know, with the, the, the uh, themed area that you're coming out of? you know, walking into this new one. So all that goes into it. How early is the, um, the theme of a ride or an area determined? Is that something that you start with a theme and then you build backward or do you decide we're going to build an area? It's going to have some flat rides and it's going to be baseball theme. The theming part of it usually comes later on, you know, the theming part of it, the naming of the, you know, the attractions of the rides, you know, those are the kind of things that, um, normally come last, you know, you know, like I'll take Mystic Timbers, for example, you know, you knew that was going to be a wooden roller coaster. You knew it was going to be in a wooded area. Um, but the name came, you know, came later. It wasn't the, the, the first thing there, the beast, you know, that wasn't named until uh, February 6th, you know, just a couple of months before it opened uh, with things like that. So the name, the theme, that's often the last, you know, piece of the puzzle that you put together and you have that all finalized, you know, in the months you know, maybe nine, 10 months leading up to the announcement of a new attraction. Excellent. You know, with that part of it, but in terms of what it is and where it's going and all that, that's, that's determined way before uh, the name and the theme is. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you can also, um, you know, if you pick a theme, I mean, if you do a general theme, space theme, something like that, I, you could probably pull that. But for a lot of these areas, you kind of got to read the room and you got to think like, okay, um, you know, uh, steampunk theme, that's out now. You know, so let's do something else. Right. You know, you don't want to make that determination five years right. in advance. Uh, because I, I've noticed that, like, it, let's we're going to use a steampunk theme, but I'm not necessarily talking about, like, the steampunk area at any of the Six Flags parks. It's just what came to mind. But I've noticed that, especially in it, it, parks like Universal and Disney, if they did something like that and it became passe, they'd be quick to replace it. But at a lot of seasonal parks, it seems like the theme just kind of falls off. Like, they just don't they don't acknowledge that it has that theme anymore once it becomes irrelevant. Um, and that's not what you want to do, you know? So I think it's kind of cool that, um, you know, it's determined a little bit later, but I, I think that theming in areas, first of all, it's having a resurgence, which is the greatest thing in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, theming is becoming more important, you know, for, um, you know, when you're, you're doing new interactions. So it's, you know, it's getting a little bit more closer to the time of decision than it, you know, used to be. So it's, it's, it's coming about that way where, um, you know, sometimes the theming is more important than the attract, the right experience itself, you know, everything around it. So, um, you know, it's becoming more and more important, but it's still one of the the later things that you, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's funny cause the theme, it, it does matter. It really does. Uh, because, you know, when we talk about, for example, time traveler, at uh, Silver Dollar City, and we'll talk about Silver Dollar City during the pick six, by the way, for obvious reasons, but um, that's a mock spinning extreme coaster, which is awesome, but it's such a cool looking ride. For me, I really want to ride it, but I wonder how much of that is I want to see this theme and how much of it is I want to ride the ride, because I think it's 60% of me wants to ride the ride, but 40% like I got to see this, you know? Uh, yeah. And you know, the other piece of this too, Ryan, is it is incredibly hard to come up with the right name because you want a name that's going to, you know, work with logos and, you know, all that other, that other part of that, um, you know, you might have the best name, but you find someone has a mm -hmm. trademark somewhere and there's a lot of research on that. So it's not, um, not a simple process, you know, to, to come up with. Yeah, a name. I understand. I don't uh, know so. this for sure. Tell me if you know this or not. But for uh, every park renames every water park ride like every 10 years or so, isn't there like a company that specializes in like nomenclature that will name the rides for you or like give you options? Have you heard about that? Well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure that those um, opportunities are out there to work with different companies and that that can assist with or, you know, marketing firms or agencies that can assist with the, the naming process. Um you know, or it can be done at the park level. It can be done at the corporate level. Uh, you know, everybody's going a different direction how they, they determine the names, you know, but it's becoming more collaborative mm -hmm. than it used to be. Uh, it used to be as simple as, okay, here's what we're building. Let's name it this, you know, and those days are gone. You can't do that. You have to have a lot of, lot of thought into why you're naming it that, how you're going to market it because of that name and how is that going to affect the theming of it all? Uh, what kind of merchandise can we yep. do off of that name? All those things go into it. So, uh, you know, something that'd be as simple as, you know, here's the blueprint and here's what it's going to do. Ah, let's name it this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you could do that. Those days How, are gone. So vaguely asking you this question, you know, and this is going back to like more of your like traveling theme park enthusiast kind of days, but have you bought a piece of merchandise just because you like the look of the logo and you didn't care about the ride? 
Have you ever done that before? Because oh, I've yeah. totally done that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can name a lot of rides that I've I've done that with. And, um, you know, I, I love cool logos. I, I, I like, you know, the ID signs in front of, front I of love rides. You know, logos. I, I sometimes like, I like that better than I do the ride experience mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for example, yeah. uh, I, the um, coaster cutouts, I think they're called, you know, the little balsa wood things. I mm -hmm. bought a uh, Vortex one. I detest Vortex. I've got nostalgia for it, but I, I didn't like Vortex, but I bought it. That's the only one I own except for the Eiffel Tower because it looked cool. You know, because, well, part of it was yeah. because that's an aero train and aero trains kind of connect me to like the feels and, you know, the nostalgia and whatever. But I bought that. There are rides I like a lot more than I ever liked Vortex that I didn't buy because the trains didn't look as cool. And I think that's tantamount to this logo looks awesome mm -hmm. on a t-shirt. Uh, another thing that, uh, you know, that I bought was, um, Tumbili at, uh, at King's Dominion when I was out there last summer, I bought so much Tumbili stuff. I bought like a, a two different magnets. I don't even buy magnets. I don't collect magnets. I bought two of them just because I love the logo and it looks so cool. Like made out of wood. Shout out to the the graphic design team or whoever came up with that stuff. But I spent a lot of money just because this logo looks cool. You know, loved the ride, but I'll, you don't really buy a t-shirt for a 40 spinner, I guess, <laughs> to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I spent money because they took the time to make this look awesome, you know. Exactly. Yeah, logos are everything Absolutely. to me. Logos and colors and, uh, you know, even the theme and stuff. Um, I think it means a lot, you know, and it used to be so badly done where it was like, I'd almost rather not have a theme where it's like, Oh, look, there's stuff in the queue. Great. But nowadays, like there's a backstory so often now I did. It's so cool. Anyway. Okay. Let's do the next tweet. All right. Great question from Dan Stadnick at Dan Stadnick on Twitter. What are what is your prediction regarding the success of these new mini parks such as Mattel Park in Arizona and the Universal Park in Texas? Great, great question. Don, I'll let you go first. Well, you know, I think it all comes down to, you know, people like to be, you know, have fun. They like to do things with their family and friends. They like to be entertained. Uh, so as long as, you know, these uh, smaller um you know, entities are, are marketing and promoting that they're there and it's a good experience. You know, I think they can have a, a long run, you know, a very successful run. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, if the, I don't want to say the expectations are tempered but from a, because from a guest standpoint, these are going to be phenomenal. Um, Universal has a set standard that everybody knows, and it's it's going to be on that standard. Uh, you and I have both seen the materials from the Mattel Park at IAPA, and that's oh yeah, oof, dude that that uh, Hot Wheels car or the Hot Wheels uh, roller coaster and stuff. Oof. Anyway, um, my point yeah. is this. So l let me give you an example of my thought process with this. So we got one in Texas and one in Arizona. Um, we're talking about, uh, probably super regional parks. Um, so for those of you who don't know the concept of that, uh, if you want to go to Disney world, you have to get on an airplane and you have to fly down to Florida and stuff, but you know what, that's what you needed to go to do to go to Disney world. And people aspire their whole lives to do that. Um, and then a step down from that is super regional parks. You know, you've got your big six flags parks, your big Cedar fair parks, uh, Dollywood's a little, eh, some, somewhere in there. Um, but when you talk about, uh, 
Okay, so let, let me give an example. So a smaller Six Flags park is Six Flags St. Louis, all right? So it's right in the middle of America. I have not driven to St. Louis to go to Six Flags. Um, that's a long drive for a park that's like, you know, medium-sized. Um, if this park opened in, if this, let's say the Universal Park opened in St. Louis, would you drive six hours to go there or eight hours to go there, Don? Well, I think that goes back to, you know, you got to play to your market, you know, know who your, your, you know, your audience is going to be and, um, you know, don't stray from who and what you are. And if you do that, you know, locally or just within like a, you know, maybe a hundred mile radius of, of you, you know, you can do pretty well, you know? So I think you just have to focus on that. You know, you, you don't make it something where you're trying to be a destination place, just to know and understand who and what you are. And then you can have success if you work off. Of that I model. agree. But, but what, what I'm getting at is that, you know, I haven't driven to St. Louis because the park there is, you know, medium size or whatever. If they open yeah. a universal park, no doubt in my mind, I would drive out there. And I think that's what they're assuming people are going to be doing in Texas. I mean, Texas is a big place anyway. So this is kind of centralized in Texas and you can, you know, drive there from anywhere in Texas from six or eight hours away. And then there's Oklahoma and, you know, all the other neighboring states. Um, I think that this is going to be a huge draw. Um, I think it's going to be mega regional. So I think it's going to be uh, probably probably higher in attendance than most in its design that way than you know most of the seasonal parks. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably going to be a five to six million park in the first three to five years, um, which is probably where they want to put it. Um, that's Universal, not the Mattel. The Mattel one, I don't know, uh, but that's the one you have to understand who and what you are, and just make sure you you're taking advantage of you know, within that hundred miles or whatever there to, to come uh, to that, the uh, universal in Texas, it's got a name recognition and all that, uh, which can be a, you know, plus minus because if it's not what everyone was expecting or used to experiencing in Orlando or out in, you know, LA, they're going to come to this. It's going to be totally different geared to a totally different audience. So uh, I think some of that's going to come into play as well, making sure everybody understands what the product is there. Um, agreed. Um, I, uh, so, you know, with Universal, they've been very clear that it's going to be more geared towards children. Um, I don't think anybody would plan a trip there without at least Googling it. We have such access to information that we would know. But I think that there's enough to do for everybody that you could make a few days out of it. Oh, there will be. Yeah, there there will be. And it's, you know, something that, uh, you know, I know both of us, you know, would be um, visitors that first year, you know, when yeah. it opens. So, um Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, but I, I think that uh, the thing that you have to understand is that the parks that are successful, a lot of times are successful because of geography. You know, if you look at the super regionals, you know, you look at your Magic Mountains, you look at your, um, what are some other big market parks? Uh, Six Flags, the New Jersey one, uh, Kings Island, Georgia. Six Flags over Georgia. Yeah, all of them have a lot of market to pull from, but very little competition in a lot of cases. Magic Mountain's a little different, but there's a lot yeah. of people out there. Uh, and the other piece of that, Ryan, is how accessible it is sure. to get to those places. So it might be within, you know, the right region, but if it's difficult to get to it, uh, that's going to impact you as well. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, to completely derail the question, that's kind of a testament to Cedar Point, because you talk about a park that's not easy to get to. It's, they still draw over 3 million people a year. Um, if they were along an expressway, well, they wouldn't be the same park that they are. But 
you know, it's it's a testament to uh, to to the staying power of that. But if you look at all the parks built, especially in the park building boom of the '70s, Kings Island, Kings Dominion, Bush Gardens, they're all very easily accessible by the expressway. You know, so yeah. your uh, your Kenny Woods and stuff like that. Kenny Woods, another park where it's not very easy to find. They got those arrows everywhere through West Miffin, you know, trying to direct you how to get there. But it came before the expressway, so that is what it is. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think that their thought process is that they can, they probably drew a circle, a radial circle around where they want to build the park and determine there are 10 or 15, 20 million people in this area. Uh, and you know, we want to, uh, we think we can pull from them. Uh, so for, uh, you know, just to, to back that up though, uh, many of you probably remember this news story that really fizzled out, um, of the guy that was going to build that theme park ish thing that was also sports complex in Columbus. Uh, it was blue something or another, um, met the guy at IAPA. I was trying to solicit some work from him. Um, but he, he, I said, why Columbus? And he said, Columbus is within eight hours of something like 65% of the U S population. And it's like, well, you can't argue with that, you know? So, um, no. You know, and it's funny because sports complexes are really becoming ingrained, sports complexes and esports, because, oh, Billy's got a soccer game, you know, there's a soccer tournament here. Okay, we'll go to the park, too. You know, that's becoming like a thing. I feel like it was a thing in the past, and now it's coming back, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely coming back. But uh, to answer his question, though, um, our prediction for success, I'm going to say, yeah, both would be successful. I'm going to say that the universal one will be successful. It will continue to be successful. Um, and I think that in the course of our lifetimes, it'll grow to be something that's tantamount to the other universal parks. Um, I think that there's dipping their toe in the water and they're just going to keep building and building. Um, maybe even add another gate, you know, like this is the big kid park, kind of like Epic universe. Um, the Mattel park, I don't know enough about, but if I had to guess, I mean, like I'd put, I'd, I'd invest in them. You know, that's not investment advice, of course, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, they have a good product. Uh, they have, uh, you know, we saw their trains and stuff of like the matchbox cars and those look really cool. So if any, the rest of the park is any indication or if that trains any indication of what the rest of the park is going to look at, they're, they're in for, uh, a good Thanksgiving dinner, you know? (laughs) Awesome. Cool. That was a rant. I apologize to everybody listening. (laughs) All right. I think they're used to it by now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. All right. So uh, from at L. Lonald P. Dakes, that's uh, Donnie Lakes on Twitter. Um, So he said, what's your guys' bucket list park and coaster? All right, Don, take it away. What's your bucket list park and coaster? Now, is he... Asking that these both be in the same place or for different reasons. I would venture to guess that they could be separate. Okay. We're being separate. I'm going to say park bucket list, even though I had been there, but it's been a long time. It's going to be Fiesta, Texas, because I want to see their 4th of July fireworks show. That was phenomenal. What I saw on video last year Um, just looked great. Uh, I don't know, you know, being there on the ground, does it look as good? I don't know, but it looked phenomenal on video. So that'd be on my bucket list. If I want to see a 4th of July celebration at a park, that would be my bucket list to hit Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. 
And for coaster, I'm going to go with um, Hershey Park Candemonia. I have not been on that. I've heard great things about it. So that would be my bucket list coaster. Excellent. What about you, okay, Ryan? Okay. Um, so let's see here. Uh, I would say that short term, my bucket list park is probably Silver Dollar City. Uh, I have not been there yet, um, but I have, uh, you know, I, I've got a deep love for Dollywood, and I've heard that the theme's even better at Silver Dollar City. So, you know, us talking about, um, you know, the uh, time traveler there made me start to think about it, you know? <laughs> uh, so that's definitely, yeah. that's my bucket list park uh, as of right now. Ask me tomorrow and the answer might change. Bucket list coaster has been the same bucket list coaster for 20 years and I've just been too lazy to fly out to California to ride X2. I know, I know it's uncomfortable. Everybody talks about it, but I have always wanted to ride that thing. I've been fascinated by it. Um, I really want to get out there to ride that. So X2, you're my bucket list coaster. <laughs> well, stop making excuses. Book the flight. Get out there and ride it, Ryan. Yeah. Um, plenty of parks out there to visit. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. All right. <laughs> well... You know, we haven't done a normal pick six in such a long time. I, it's going to feel weird to do it, but we have some exciting to topics to talk about. So, everybody, this is pick six. So, pick six is a segment where, you know, Don and I pick six items from the theme park news and industry and so on, and we discuss them. So, it's topics that we found of interest. And um, so, let's start with uh, the first one. So the first one uh, takes us actually to Silver Dollar City. Uh, Silver Dollar City announced that 2023 will unfortunately be the last year of the famed indoor roller coaster Fire in the Hole after 50 years. Don, have you ridden Fire in the Hole? I have not, uh, but I know a lot of people that have um, just a unique attraction. 50 years old, you know, every attraction we've talked about this on past podcasts where you know, eventually they, they reach the end of the line. But I have to ask, is it the end of the line? Is this something that uh, everybody enjoys their last rides as it has been for the past 50 years on this attraction? And then they kind of like refurbish a little bit and do some different things with it. Or is it truly, you know, being removed and something else totally different is going to go in there? Um, so, uh, you know, for me, it's always sad to see an attraction go, though, you know, it, especially one with that kind of a, a long run of 50 years. Uh, but I'm interested to see, you know, what actually goes in there. If it's just, uh, you know, something that's kind of refurbished, rethemed. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, 2.0 of this this attraction. Or it's just, you know, something that's totally new. But the bottom line is, this is your last year to get out and experience that attraction as it has been since 1972. So... So make plans now to go go get your last ride. Yeah. Um, so as all people uh, definitely think, uh, how does this affect me? And the thing that kind of affects me with this, as somebody who has not ridden Fire in the Hole, and I, I've not been out to... It's, yeah, we got to get the credit. Get the cred, man. Um, but uh, so Fire in the Hole is essentially identical to Blazing Fury at Dollywood. And Blazing Fury is one of my favorite rides in the world. Uh, and that just terrifies me to think that it's possible that maybe Hershen thinks that these rides are obsolete and that, um, you know, that uh, Blazing Fury might be next. But I'd like to think that's not true. Yeah, I love Blazing Fury too. I mean, it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I, I just, yeah. 
Let's not talk about this anymore. Get out to Silver Dollar City, Branson, Missouri, ride Fire in the Hole, uh, and ride Time Trailer for me. And they also they got an RMC out there. Uh, so definitely hit that up. Tons to do. There's like a cave under the park too. Uh, that's why it's my bucket list park. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, next item. So happy news this time. Serengeti Flyer at Bush Gardens, Tampa finally has an open date of February 27th. So Serengeti Flyer is one of those SNS Scream and Swings. Um, you know, they have those at several parks. Uh, that is one of my favorite flat rides that I really wish that my home park would eventually get. Um, I think they're super fun. I think the taller, the better. Uh, have you been on one of these, Don? I have, and you're right. Uh, super fun, uh, you know, thrilling. Uh, I liked how, you know, it is a flat ride, as you described it. And what I like about it is not everybody that goes to a park is going to be a roller coaster fan. So this allows you to, to experience those high adrenaline thrills without being on a roller coaster. So I think it's a, it's a great addition uh, to the park. I think, you know, guests visiting, you know, Bush Gardens, Tampa, they're going to love it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, the one at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg is very good. Uh, mm -hmm. And it goes over kind of a ravine. So that's really kind of cool. Um, there's the the one at Cedar Point is particularly tall. So I think the one at San Antonio, Bush Gardens. Um, SeaWorld San Antonio might be the tallest now, though. Um, and then the one at Dollywood is like early flight themed. And I think that's super cool, too. But those rides are so fun and they make the most like horrible like noises because they usually they use compressed yeah. air. Um, and I think that's part of the fun because it freaks out people that it's so industrial. You know, we talked about steampunk earlier. Yeah. And just. Yeah. And as I mentioned, just a great way to to enjoy thrills without getting on a roller coaster if you're not a roller coaster fan. Absolutely. Okay, cool, cool. All right. So uh number three. So yeah, next one oh, this oh, is for yeah. you, Ryan. Uh yeah, Mayor Jeff Cheney. Uh he's from Texas posted a QA about the new planned Texas Universal Park that we were just talking about. I thoughts have on thoughts on that. So uh I was looking at his uh like the, the fact sheet that he kind of put out. Um, a lot of people have seemed to have been kind of concerned with the traffic, which is always going to be the concern with this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, he, he claims that the traffic won't be that bad, but this is the information that we actually have from the article. Um, it's going to be 97 acres. Uh, yeah. 97 acres as big as the Warren sports complex, which I assume is um, <laughs> some sort of local sports complex. Uh, it's going to have a 300 room hotel. It's going to have, um, remaining acreage available for expansion dedicated to parking and as well as potential expansion, which is that second gate that I was predicting. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's a quarter of the size of the traditional universal park, a uh, quarter of the size of Hollywood and a quarter of the size of the Orlando park. Now I haven't been to, uh, Orlando or I'm sorry, um, universal Hollywood, but I understand that it's kind of a smaller park, right? Yeah, smaller. Okay. Yeah, not as immersive as the one right. in Orlando. Okay. So, um, you know, but he's saying also that the target audience is children between three and nine years old. So that's once again setting the proper expectations as to what they're going to offer it. Uh, it's a new universal concept, one of a kind theme park, immersive lands. Uh, they do not know what characters are going to be there at this time. Um, park will not open any earlier than eight and close any later than nine. Uh, deed also allows for 20 special events annually with closing hours no later than 10 p.m. Anticipated hours 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. weekdays, 10 a.m. to 7 weekends. 
and then a bunch of stuff about the zoning and oh anticipated attendance weekdays 7500 visitors weekends well saturdays 20,000 visitors that is setting the bar pretty low if you ask me for a universal park yeah yeah but it takes time to build it up yeah too. um the 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 author of this article noticed that these are people not vehicles and it does not include employees uh they average 3.2 people per car how do you fit 2.2 people in a car don in the trunk <laughs> i don't know no but it seems like um you know the mayor there is uh, very much in favor of of this project and uh you know thinks it's going to be a great addition to that part of yeah Texas. yeah i mean i i agree and you know in the defense of the people um you and I would, if they were going to build a theme park, you know, in, in Northern Kentucky or in Fairfield, Ohio or wherever, we'd be thrilled. But the average person would be like, what? You know, because they kind of had a bombshell dropped on them. Uh, so the mayor is right to, to um, you know, address these concerns, especially with traffic. Yeah, I mean, it, do, it does raise a lot of questions if you're, you know, in that neighborhood, um, you know, around there that you are going to worry, is this going to, you know, impact my commute to work and and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, but I think it's great that, um, you know, he had this Q and a and, and addressed a lot of, uh, a lot of people's concerns. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we don't have a target opening date for that. I think they, I mean, I imagine it'll be no less than five years from now, but, uh, very exciting news out of Texas as always. Uh, we will continue to discuss that up to and including when it opens. All right. All right. Well, Ryan Sesame place announced new attractions, uh, what are they and what are your thoughts Why on Why do them? you always go to me about Sesame Street questions, Don? <laughs> you know, I, I think it's just closer to your, you know, you're, you're closer to, to having watched Sesame That's Street. That's true. You did call me a curmudgeon a couple weeks ago, and I'm still angry about that. I did. Um, I did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Sesame Place. This is the one in the Philadelphia area. Uh, it's got some new attractions coming. Yeah. Uh, Burton Ernie's Splashy Shores, which is an all-new water play adventure. Uh Big Bird's Beach, which is a tropical oasis. Uh, it's a new tropical-themed land where the vibes are chill and your furry and feathered friends are ready to for splashy water fun. Um, that's going to replace uh, Twiddlebug Land. Uh, and then Welcome to the Party is going to be hosted by Elmo, Abby, Grover, Rosetta, and Cookie Monster. I might have mispronounced a couple of those. Uh, they're, they're going to have a party. It's going to be a dance party that always goes over so well with the kids, the dance parties, you know? Um, oh yeah, they love it. Yeah, they do. Um, sorry. Uh, small talk with big bird is going to be a photo op. Um, so let me ask you this. So Sesame place from all accounts that I've heard are, is very cool, you know, for little kids. Um, these splash zones, though, splash zones outside of water parks. As an adult that has raised a child, what are your thoughts on that? Because I always thought that that would be like, I would hate any park. Oh, the kids want to play in the water and get soaked and they're not in their bathing suit. You know, what, what are your what's your experience with that? Um, you know, well, my daughter would uh, go through those uh, splash zones and that, uh, you know, it's a time of her life. She was just having a great time. You know, so, uh, you know, I get it. Um, I, I think it's great for the kids to have, have, uh, you know, that opportunity to just, you know, have fun. You know, that's all it's about is have fun. And uh, as for myself, you know, I didn't always like um, being drug into it sometimes where I had to go through them with her. But, uh, 
but you know, but for her, I mean, it was just, just a big thrill. So yeah, I, I think it's great, uh, you know, to have something like this for kids and, uh, you know, they enjoy it and they don't ever want to get out. That's the other thing. They want to just to stay there all day. So it's a, I will say that in advance, if your kid has not gone through, you know, and they're young and I'm talking the, you know, five to, to nine years old, 10 years old, if they have not, um, you know, been through one of those splash zones and that, good luck trying to get them to leave. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, I, let me anecdotally uh, tell you this. I went to SeaWorld during IAPA week, uh, and I had not been to their renovated SeaWorld section, or uh, Sesame Street section, sorry. I've been to SeaWorld section before. Um, so I checked that out, and I'll, I'll tell you this. The area, this is um, SeaWorld Orlando. Uh, the area is beautiful. It really legitimately looks like Sesame Street, as you would remember it as a kid. Um, but one thing I did notice is that most of it is photo ops. And uh, one of the things is that you can take your picture in Big Bird's Nest. Um, I remember thinking that if I was a kid, I wouldn't understand, first of all, why I'm in Big Bird's Nest and people are taking pictures of me. And secondly, where's Big Bird? And thirdly, why isn't he in right. his nest? Like, I think that the, 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 the thought process is, I think that as a nostalgic adult who remembers seeing this, there's probably more value to it than it is to a kid that's like, oh my God, we're on Sesame Street. Oh yeah, photos inside, great. I don't, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. That it is kind of odd if you, you're in this big nest, but you don't see Big Bird. So yeah, I yeah. Agree. I mean, I, it's definitely something that was designed by adults for kids. Um, but you know, with that being said, the area was just mind-blowingly beautiful and and just incredibly accurate to the way that I remember it in, in the, you know, 60 or 70 years ago that I was watching Sesame street, you know, when I was 17. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ryan, number five on our pick six, super Nintendo world is set to officially open on Friday. Are you Don, excited? You talk about bucket lists. I grew up playing super Mario brothers three and I, I haven't been out to California yet, but I'm actually planning a short-term trip like in the next two months to make it out there very specifically to, um, to, you know, visit Super Nintendo World. Uh, the photos that I've seen have been incredible. Um, you know, if you guys are, any of you guys are Switch owner, Nintendo Switch owners, you know, they've obviously modernized the characters, so they're more cartoony than they are pixelated. Um, and it does such a great job of representing what the games look like nowadays. Um, and They've got the uh, the Mario Kart ride open. Uh, there's there's going to be more at Epic Universe, from what I understand. But the one in California is just going to have the Mario Kart ride. And uh, the a couple friends of mine went there, and they were lucky enough to they did a dry run opening that was unannounced and got to ride it. And they said they had never seen technology like that. Uh, I I'm so excited about that. Did you ever play Nintendo, Don? I did, I did. So yeah, I'm excited about it too. So I, I think it's. Uh... You know, you know, it's going to be really well done. It's going to be um, next level stuff. I mean, let's be honest here. Um, I, I don't I don't want to dwell on it too much because I got a feeling we're going to be talking about this quite a bit over the course of the next year or so. But with that being said, uh, we can't play down just how massive this is and how exciting it is just for anybody that's into either video games or theme parks. Yeah. And once you go out there, Ryan, the next episode, when you come back that uh, that we'll do, we will certainly um, you know, focus on kind of a trip report from you on, on, on what the experience was like. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll catch some, some, uh, photos and video for our social media and so on. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, the final one, number six, Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, they're going to make major changes with the annual uh, pass uh, passes for the parks and the uh, reserve system, reservation system. So, uh, Ryan, your so, thoughts? So, uh, badly needed. Um, see, I'm kind of on the fence about the reservation system when it comes to Disney World, at least. Um, because on one hand, people do have some issues getting reservations. Uh, they say that the capacity is capped to 80% or down 20% of what it was mm -hmm. before, before they would just close the gates. But on that same token, though, um, it still gets packed. So part of me says, like, no, get rid of the reservations. You know, hopefully we're past the COVID thing now. So, you know, you don't have to do that. But the other part of me says, this is only going to get worse. Uh, what a conundrum. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it, it's definitely a situation where it can get worse. Um, you know, there's always a lot of tinkering lately, you know, with with uh, the Disney parks and what they're doing with the different, uh, you know, the past uh, programs, the past perks, the reservation systems, you know. But what I do like about it is, uh, you know, they are trying to make adjustments and trying to make it better. Uh, but we'll see if that's what happens. Yeah, I completely agree, um, because it would be very easy to to rubber either way, either. Knowing the fact that you're Disney, you're the premier park, people are going to come to you no matter what. So you're going to take this and you're going to run with it no matter what, uh, which ultimately will bite you. Once people have a little less money and they have to start making decisions, that's going to hurt a lot. But on the other hand, it's, you know, we're Disney, we're magical, give you whatever you want. You can't do that either. You know, so uh, <laughs> good luck, Disney. You know, I, I'm... Yeah, one of the things I saw as a plus that was recently announced was if you don't have a reservation now for the, for the pass holders, uh, you're going to be able to get in after two o'clock. Yes, and I think that that's pretty fair. Um, I, 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 I'm a you know as, as somebody that is a pass holder, not of Disney, but like in general, um, I I think that the product that they sell you should be what's advertised. So when it's kind of like. Um, you know, here's the pass. It's good for every operating day during the summer. And it's like, oh, we're at capacity. You can't come in. Yeah, I get it logistically, but that also doesn't sit well with me because technically I bought a ticket for that day, you know? So um, I, I think it's justified that people are upset that, especially with how much those annual passes are. I mean, my God, you know, you know, they don't even sell them in Florida anymore. They had the Florida resident one, which was, I don't know how much it was, but it was more than like $800, you know, and to say like, yeah. you can't come, you can only come next Friday. No, I'm coming every day, dude. You know? So I don't know. Yeah. That's the idea of a, of a season pass or an annual pass is to be able to come and go uh, when you want to. And that's not always been the case out there lately. So uh, at least, uh, you know, like we said, they're, they're trying, you know, some different things, uh, making some adjustments and uh, you know, we'll see what the impact there is. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. Don, this was a, this was a fun one. I like this user special. We should do this every couple of months. Yeah. And you know what I think, you know, we've talked about it too, but I think we're getting to that point to where we can maybe do a live one and take those questions as we're doing the podcast. I think that would be a, a, a fun way to go. I mean, we don't know what we're going to get, but I think, you know, we're at that point where we can, we can look to try that someday, but uh, you know, if you have any ideas, suggestions, uh, you know, maybe some topics that you want to, uh, to have Ryan and I discuss here on the Attractions Group podcast, you know, feel free to tweet them at us. Our handle is at attractions underscore GRP. 
And, uh, you know, we look forward to, to hearing what you have to say, you know, just, you know, maybe it's a topic idea, you know, whatever it may be. We yeah, want to hear absolutely. From you. Yeah. That's attractions underscore GRP. Or if you want to comment on, uh, you know, the YouTube video or something like that, we do get a notification about that. So we'll be happy to address that. And uh, for the, those of you, especially from the enthusiast community, because I know the last two episodes when we had Ace and the National Roller Coaster Museum on, we had a big influx of people that are coaster enthusiasts. We want to say that uh, we appreciate you. Uh, we're really grateful that you're here and you're listening and so on, uh, along with the industry people. Uh, this is an industry podcast. We mainly talk about the business end of the theme park business, um, but we are definitely one of you. We're definitely park lovers and roller coaster lovers and stuff. So, Don, any final words of wisdom before we, uh, we let him go for the week? Nope. This was uh, fun. We appreciate the questions that we received. Uh you know, if we didn't get to yours this week, you know, there's other opportunities that can awesome, be coming up. Cool. Well, we're signing off for the night, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night.